0: Um, so as he shared my name is Michael. I'm with youth with a mission of YWAM here in Liverpool YWAM is called to know God and to make him known and we do that in many different ways Here in Liverpool, we are called to restore hope dignity and value to the people of Liverpool in order to impact the nations for Christ and I love this city because of how diverse it is You have the nations at your doorsteps in this church And so it's beautiful that we gather from different parts of the world One thing that I am passionate about that God has given us through COVID, coming out of COVID, is a desire for mental health and well-being. During this time, he has taken us on a journey on what does that look like to be physically, mentally, and spiritually, and even emotionally well and healthy? And what does the Bible say about this? So, as YWAM, one of my things that I'm passionate about is to help build emotional, mental, and spiritual resilience in the lives of people. To show Christ the hope of glory. Because if we believe that the Holy Spirit is the mighty counselor, then he is there with our thoughts, our actions, our attitude. If he cares as much as we read through the Old Testament on how people are and what they're going through, then we should believe that he cares just as much about our spiritual well-being, as well as our physical well-being, our mental and emotional well-being. And so this took me on a journey to to start to see, okay, where is this in scripture? That's where I want to go. I don't just want to believe this or know this, but where in scripture... Do we see this reflected and reflected well? And as we were singing earlier, you know, just the name of Jesus, that's always a great place to start, a person who's relatable. So we're going to go through a bit of a long passage. Please bear with me. It is going to be John 11, and it's going to be 1 to 44 about Lazarus and that whole dream that he has. So I'm going to pray because we're definitely going to need help to go through this, so please bear with me. Um, But I hope that it'll be as impactful for you as it has been for me to look at this from that perspective of a mental health and mental well-being lens. So Lord, we come before you, and I pray that your words will be spoken out, Lord, that as we seek you in this time, to desire to know you, to understand how much you love us, Lord, and to receive that love, to be given out and shared, Lord. You care about each person from getting visas and settlement status, Lord, thank you for that, to all the other big and little things that we are all going through. So we trust you to walk with us today as you walked with your disciples, Lord. Be patient and kind with us, and may you open our hearts and reveal all that you have for us. Amen. So we're going to read through this, this passage. Hopefully I'll be able to share a few nuggets on mental health and some of the things that God has shown me. Um, as we read through this, The shortest verse in the Bible is in this passage, and that's Jesus' wept. So be asking yourself, why did Jesus weep? What caused it? Why did he do that? So I'm going to read this and I read from the ESV, hopefully the words will be up behind me. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking a re- taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Oops. <clears throat> yeah, sorry, I just... I'm losing my place. Um, is that in the right spot? Sorry, I just have an extra little thing that got out in there. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Wow, what an incredible passage. Thank you guys for for bearing with me in that story. But there's some incredible things that we see. It amazes me at how Jesus walked and lived, how he moved. And I wish we could have tone of voice in this, right? You get a text message, ooh, what's the tone? How do I read this? So we don't know how this come across, or that tone of voice, the mannerisms, and how it's read out. And sometimes that can cause a little bit of confusion, but I love to read this trying to picture it in my head because it is just so vivid. But in this passage, there is pain. There are things going on. There is mourning. There is a death. There is a loss. And we see this all played out from start, from the moment they find out he's ill to the moment that he comes back. But in this, there are three different types of pain that we get to see. We see physical pain, which is first. Lazarus is ill, right? There's a physical pain. He physically dies. He goes through something. How many of you have ever been in physical pain? I mean, we've all, like, hurt something, right? Even if you've stubbed your toe, the pain that is there in that physical moment, especially if you use that example of a stubbed toe, you know it's going to go. You know it's going to go away rather quickly, But yet, it still hurts. Nothing is going to take away that pain in that moment. If you have an injury, something that you're waiting to be healed, you know it will be healed. There are some diseases that, you know, there is no cure for, and that's hard to go through. But those that we know, there is an end date to a broken bone in a cast. We know that it's going to be okay, but that doesn't take away that if you bump it, it's still going to hurt. You're not going to be able to use it without it hurting. How do we respond to that physical pain in the moment? How do others respond to that? Because if we treat physical pain the same way we treat mental, emotional, and spiritual pain, it's not going to be the same. Oh, you know it'll be better, so just get over it. Why don't you spend more time with God and just pray about it? While that can help rechange your focus, that doesn't actually remove the pain and the feelings that your body is, is going through in order to make it harder to do things. That you do need more help than you once did because there's something going on inside you. So we see physical pain. The next kind of pain we actually see a bit later on is emotional pain. Mary and Martha and many of the, of the others grieving. They go through this grieving process. That is emotionally painful. I lost my dad to a head-on car crash. It'll be 12 years this May. One of the most painful things I have ever been through. Emotionally, it just wrecked me. But in this... I've learned to see God's goodness and faithfulness, which I hope will be evident through the parts that we're going to read through. But no matter what anybody said, it didn't change the fact that my dad had still passed away. Words did not console me. People telling me, oh, God's got you. Well, I know this. As a Christian, I know these things. But it it wasn't consoling to me. What I actually was the most consoling is to have somebody just sit next to me, put their hand on my shoulder, and just be there. Let me weep. Let me mourn. Let me share stories. That was more powerful because I already knew who God was. And if you don't know who God is, that can make it even more painful to not have hope to go through something so tragic. In this life, we will face pain, trials, tribulations. There will be time when we will be emotionally strained and stressed. Most of the things that cause emotional pain are usually associated with negative things, right? If you were to win the lottery... You wouldn't be laying awake at night saying, oh man, what would life be like if I didn't win that ticket? If I didn't buy that, you would not dwell on that night after night getting a sleepless night's rest thinking about the what if on something good that you did. That usually turns into thankfulness. I'm so thankful I did this, right? So why do most of the what ifs, you should have, where were you? Why weren't you a part of this? If only this would be different, everything else would fall into place. And this is actually what we see in the life of Jesus. But if we get stuck there and dwell in that pain, then we, there is nowhere to move forward. Jesus is calling us to walk through that as we're going to see. And the other side of it is the spiritual pain, which is this is the sin that leads to death. There is spiritual warfare and things happening. And this one isn't touched on as much in here, but I just want to bring it about When we sin, there are spiritual consequences and things that happen, and all sin leads to death eventually. So how do we respond knowing that we're going to be going through something like this? How do we be sympathetic? How do we sit with people? If we're going to be talking about emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, we need to know how we respond to this. How does Jesus respond to this, and where do we go from here? So now that we kind of got a little bit of a framework, we can kind of go through the passage bit by bit and see what nuggets God has revealed to me. And hopefully it will be good for you, too. So verses one through three, Mary and her sister Martha sent to Jesus to say, hey, your friend is ill. Now, it doesn't say how ill, but we know he dies rather quickly, right? So if I had a friend in the States, I have a mate who I've known for 20-something years. If I were to go visit or hear that that friend was really, really sick on their deathbed, I would do everything I could to get there as quick as I could. I would be raising funds. I would try and find the next flight out. I would get there as quick as I could, as would most of you, if it was somebody who you cared about, who you loved, who you valued. Jesus' response, though, in verse 4, is that's not an illness that will lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of man may be glorified. Not quite the reaction that you would expect from somebody's close friend who's actually going through something very serious, especially knowing Jesus and who he is, what he's capable of, and for him just to be like, "No, he's good. He's okay. He'll be he'll come through." Jesus knew what the father was doing. He knew what the outcome would be, so he had no reason to worry. He loved Martha, her sister and Lazarus, as it says in verse 5. And he chooses, in verse 6, to stay two days longer, knowing what this was going to lead to, but knowing what he was called to do. That's interesting. I would not want to stay here longer than I had to to go meet with my friend who is in the hospital or being really ill. When my dad had his car crash, I ran to the neighbor's house, borrowed the car, actually bumped into my mailbox reversing out, tried to fix it. And my, um, somebody with me was like, hey, just go, just go, just go. And so I went as quick as I could, trying not to speed. But that was my reaction in that moment to go see my dad. But Jesus here, again, it can come off a bit cold and like, do you not care about your friend? And he stays there. And I thought that this was very interesting because Jesus, again, he's operating out of who he knows he is. There is no fear and worry. Are we operating out of who we are or are we operating out of who Jesus is? We have to know his character well enough to know that he cared, that he loved, that he was compassionate. So knowing this, he waits two days longer. And he then decides, okay, we're going to go back to Judea, a place where he was just previously about to be stoned. People were not happy with him. And he says, okay, now we're going to go. He's choosing to do what the father wants to do in these moments. And there's a little bit of a passage, 9, 9 and 10, talk about the light in the world and that, you know, people stumbling in darkness. Well, if we go back to the start of John, this is a common theme. Jesus is referred to as the light of the world, that darkness cannot overcome it. And while I don't fully understand that part, I do think it's an important aspect of who he is, because he is the light of the world. And only in him is there hope. And what he's about to do, only he is able to do it. So Jesus knows that Lazarus is going to come back to life. He's not too distraught or upset. He seems rather chill, relaxed, laid back. He knows that he is life. He is hope. He knows what he's going to do. And then he kind of confuses the disciples a little bit because they're struggling to understand. So in verse 11, he just says, hey, Lazarus is sleeping. That's what he's doing. He's just asleep. asleep. All right, cool. So I thought he was ill, but I guess he just needed a nap. Now he's feeling better, you know, sleep it off kind of a thing. Wake up the next day, you're fine. Let's go wake him up, guys. Set an alarm, you know, get some bacon on or something, wake him up. Oh, no, 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 that's, that's actually not what Jesus is saying, because then he tells them plainly because they weren't getting it. No, he's dead. Like, wait, what? <laughs> I thought he was sleeping. Is he dead? Is he sleeping? I am really confused. Imagine being one of the, the disciples, being in this moment, and recognizing how much we get focused or how much they get focused on the physical, what they can see, not what God is doing. Jesus is seeing something beyond what the disciples can see, right? He only does what the Father in heaven does. So that's all he's doing. And they're stuck limited right now into the physical and what they can see. So Jesus is trying to get them along the way. So he just responds with, well, he's dead. Jesus flat out tells him this. And you think his next response would be, okay, let's go. We're going to make a journey. Let's, let's do this. He's already said we're going we're gonna to make our way towards him. But Jesus is focused on heavenly things. Because this is not the response in verse 15 that I would expect from Jesus. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. What kind of response is that? It's better that I wasn't there. How many times when we're going through something, do we, do we say, God, where are you? Why aren't you there? Rather than saying, where are you in this? How do we change that perspective from what we can see in the circumstances that we're going through to say, what is God's purpose? How can it be used for his glory? Maybe he will remove it. Maybe he won't. When my dad passed away, again, one of the hardest things I've ever gone through, but I can look back and say, God is good and faithful. And would I love him to be here? Yes, I would. But I wouldn't change everything that I've gone through because it taught me to be closer to God. So as hard as it was, Jesus was there. And I don't ask the question, what if? I don't dwell on that. That's a dangerous place to get stuck in. What if is a dangerous memory lane that we don't want to dwell and live? So Jesus is trying to get us to focus on something beyond what we can see. So, it's going to give him the most glory. The disciples can't see it. Other people can't see it. But we're going to see what he does. And Thomas, I think, still misunderstanding the mark, right? Right after this. Tries to catch him and say, well, let's go and die with him. Trying to be that martyr. Which I think is just this interesting interject in this intense scene. I'm like, no, he's sleeping. No, he's actually dead. Okay. And then Thomas is like, well, I'm going to die with him. And you're like, all right, dude. Cool. Cool. I just think it's a nice little little verse in there. Um, but if I was with Jesus, I would definitely be really confused. I would definitely just, what the heck are we doing? What is going on? And in life, that's how we can feel. Jesus, what are you doing? What's going on? But if we stay focused on him, then we'll see something really cool. Because again, Jesus knows what he's about to do. He's not worried. He's not upset. He's not scared. He's not fearful. He's like, cool, I'm going to go. And this is what's going to happen. But nobody else knows that that's what's going to happen. that's often how we get through life. Jesus knows. God knows. But we have to trust him to get there. So Jesus finally arrives on the scene. Lazarus has been dead for at least four days, as we see in verse 17. The grieving process is in full swing. Mary and Martha are in tears. Everyone gathered around them. And in this moment is when we see their emotional pain. We see the grief, the heartache, the heartbreak that goes with losing a loved one. In this time, the community would have rallied around. It would have been everybody who knew him, everybody to support Mary and Martha. It would have been a whole community event. And it's in full swing. So Martha, in the middle of this, hears that Jesus is coming. Mary stays at the house. Martha runs over to meet him. And what does she say in verse 21? If you would have been here, Lazarus would not have died. Wow. Jesus, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you would have done this, I wouldn't have done that. How often do we beat ourselves up about that? And that's exactly what Martha does. But do we have the hope and faith that Martha has to say, however... Faith also then says, whatever you ask of of God, I know it will be. So even in the moment of this grief, she's trusting whatever Jesus is going to say to the Father. She's trusting in something that she doesn't even fully understand. She shifts her focus on what she can see in the world and the pain and that and says, I know who you are, Jesus. Jesus. I see you for who you are, and I'm going to trust you. In my most vulnerable of places, I'm going to trust you. We get a picture of Martha just broken before Jesus. And when Jesus says, well, I am the resurrection, do you believe this? Do you believe of who I am? And Martha in verse 24 starts to, starts to click it together. yes. I believe that Lazarus will be resurrected, but it'll be in the future one. Not anytime soon, but there's hope that this is where he's going to go. Jesus takes it a step further in 25, and he actually says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe Jesus is saying he is the son of God. He is life. He is hope. And the only way we will get through this, anything that this is, is by believing in him. So do we have the faith like Martha to say, even though this is hard and I know there's hope, I'm still going to trust whatever you say. Do we trust Jesus enough to be there for us in the pain, in the mess, in the heartache, in that mental and emotional turmoil? Because right now, Jesus is completely mentally, logically, he's sound, he's solid. He's good. How do we learn to live a life like that with the emotional responses that could be overtaking us or the things that we could be feeling? Jesus is stable for Martha's sake in this moment, I think. I don't have any proof of that. But to have that calm, cool, collected person who you have hope and faith in, saying he is the son of God. And just like Martha, we have a choice to believe this, that in Christ, the ultimate power to heal, restore, replenish, and bring to life the things that are dead. We have a choice to believe this each and every day as Christians, or it could be your first time hearing about the true hope that you can have. So verse 27, she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Christ's identity is revealed and his response out of who he is, is that Lazarus is going to be brought back to life. Martha's response is out of Christ's identity to accept this. So again, Jesus knows who he is. We have to get there to say we believe and trust that who he is. So Martha and Jesus in this conversation, they're doing okay. You know, there's a little comfort thing. There's, there's some dialogue happening. Mary, though, is not caught up to speed yet. She's still back at the house with everyone. So Jesus and Martha send for Mary. Mary then gets that message in private. And it says that she got up and left. But everybody followed thinking she was going to go to the grave. We want to be there for our friend, So let's follow them. Let's go. So they get there. Instead, she meets up with Jesus and Martha. When Mary finally reaches Jesus, she falls at his feet. And what does she say? If you had been there, this would not have happened. Okay, so both Mary and Martha started off on the same page. But what did Jesus say earlier? It is better that I was not there so that you could see the glory of God. Wow. I reflect on this as I think about my dad, how amazing the glory of God has been in my life and all the things that he's accomplished and the benefits of him as my father, all the things that he's taught me, being able to share the story of his goodness through something like this. So I can relate a lot to Mary and Martha and what they're going through. And these are strong emotions. These aren't something that's like, oh, it's kind of sad. I'm disappointed, you know. No, it's grief, it's sadness. There's probably anger that is going with this. She's expressing their open and raw emotions to Jesus. And right now, we don't see much of an emotional response. We see a stable person just saying, well, yeah, it's going to be better, that's fine. But yet, he doesn't tell them to get over it. He doesn't say, stop crying. He doesn't try and challenge it. He just says, no, 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 this is who I am. Not, hey, did you pray more? Have you been fasting? Are you reading your Bible? Are you doing all the right things? Did you tithe? Are you going to to the synagogue all the time? Are you keeping up with all the feet? No. He just says, well, do you believe who I am? If you believe who I am, we're going to get through this. It will be okay. And so Mary weeping at the loss of the family, standing around, again, just an intense emotional scene, and it says in verse 33 that Jesus is deeply moved and his spirit is troubled. Something in him is stirring and rising up. Something that I don't even think Jesus was actually expecting in his humanity. Because again, he knows the outcome. He he knows what he's coming to do, right? Lazarus is just sleeping. He's not dead. And then he tells him that he is dead. But Jesus knows what's about to happen. In this human expression, Jesus is deeply moved. He asked to go see the tomb, to go where Lazarus has been laid, and they get there. And it's there that Jesus wept. That's when he weeps. This is, Lazarus has been dead four days. Jesus took his time to get there. Everybody telling him, if you would have been here, it would have been okay. And now Jesus weeps, knowing what he is about to do, knowing who he is. Why does he weep? So I have a few, few things that I think some of the reasons why he weeps. One is that he is mourning with others. He's doing with this with others. Galatians 6.2 says um, to bear one another's burdens. He is there to bear that with them. He sees what they're going through and says, this is hard. He wouldn't have been a stranger to death. He would have been around people who have passed away. Coming out, But why in this moment? Because it's so close to, to him, his home, his, his community. And again, I honestly do not think Jesus was expecting to cry. I think this came out of his humanity in seeing other people crying at the cost of what was going on. Everyone says, see how he loved Lazarus while other ju- others judge him because he could have prevented it." but he still chose to weep in those moments. I think he's also weeping because he sees the full cost and effect of sin in this moment. Again, he wouldn't have been a stranger to it, but the depth and the crowd and the funeral and everything else leading up to this, this is what sin leads to. It leads to death. And another reason I think that's probably a little bit smaller than the other two is that Jesus would have understood that why he is here is to take this on himself. He would have known, this is what I've come to do. And I'm coming to break this, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. I'm going to be in a tomb similar to this one. And it's not going to be a pleasant journey. In those moments, and I think those are, in my opinion, the three main reasons that Jesus would have wept. And I think that's a powerful thing to see the humanity of Jesus played out in a time of grief and mourning when he knows the outcome is going to be incredible. It's not like he doesn't know what's going to happen. So why didn't he just say, stop crying, get over it. Let me just go raise him from the dead. It's going to be fine, guys. How often do we want to sit with somebody and tell them, oh, it'll just be okay, rather than sit with them next to them or even ask, how could I help? How often do we say, well, you just need to know who God is. You just need to, the just needs, must, shoulds are very dangerous vocabulary when somebody is going through something. But to reflect and say, I know who God is, and to encourage them, God loves you through this. I I don't know how or what he's doing, but I know he loves you through this. I know you are valued. I know he's there with you to remind people of God's characters more than what our actions need to be doing. So when we talk about dealing with people with mental health, learning to listen, Jesus, again, didn't make excuses for why he wasn't there. He didn't try and justify his actions. He just said, do you know who I am? This is who I am. How do we reflect that with people that we encounter who are going through something? People who may be struggling with depression or anxiety. How do we wrestle with that and talk that through with them, not to give solutions or provide answers, but to sit with them and understand it just a little bit more? to then share Christ the hope of glory through his character through our actions. So, Jesus is weeping with them at the tomb. There's a lot of emotions going around. And Jesus says, "Hey, let's remove remove the stone, guys. Let's do this." And they're like, "But dude, he's been dead for 4 days. This is going to stink." I mean, imagine digging up a coffin that's been in the ground for quite some time. It's not going to be pleasant, guys. And Jesus, again, knowing who he is, just says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Okay. So if we really believe that God's going to get us through stuff, he's going to lead us there. He's going to walk us through. It's okay to journey through the emotional responses. We just can't get stuck there. Because Jesus allows them to mourn. He allows them to weep. He weeps and mourns with them. But then there's a progression that says, now we need to go into life. We need to step back into this place to say, this is what God is wanting to do. This is what my father wants to do now. So we're going to have some joyful times. So they remove the stone in verse 41. And Jesus prays, he gives thanks to God that he hears him, that the father always hears him. And that others, through this, others will believe. That's a powerful prayer. Are we willing to pray that? For God to use whatever we're going through right now for his glory in the future? Daniel didn't pray for God to remove the lions. Right? Joseph, you never hear about him praying about getting out of the circumstances that he was in. I'm sure he probably wanted it. But how do we learn to suffer and struggle towards Christ because it could be something that he wants to do. Not saying everything is because of this. Please, please hear me. There are some very difficult things that each one of us are carrying and are going through. There are a lot of pain pieces and trauma and abuse, and it's not easy. But in those moments, even the worst of circumstances can be used for God's glory if we allow it to be used for that. And people hear those stories. That's why testimonies are so powerful. I mean, just hearing just the brief thing about um, Martin, who, who just just that brief story, I'm like, I want to know more. Because, man, he would have gone through some stuff. But look at where God's got him now and how that story can be used to encourage each one of us. And I think that's a powerful thing. So at the tomb, Jesus is thankful. Jesus knows what he came to do. He knows Lazarus will come back to life, and it will give God the glory. So in verse 43, with a loud voice, Lazarus says, come out, or Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Now, you might think that that's an easy thing to do, but remember, Lazarus was bound up, right? He was put in the tomb. Now, imagine if Lazarus would have actually heard that and been like, guys, I'm dead. I'm just going to stay here. Guys, you just go on without me. I'm just going to stay here. Believe it or not, Lazarus had a choice, actually. He hears the voice of Jesus And he has a choice, just like Martha had a choice to believe in who Jesus is. Just like they had a choice to allow Jesus to come to the tomb, open it up, and trust for something, not knowing what was going to happen. But in this moment, Lazarus now has a choice. And I'm I'm here to tell you right now that you have a choice too. In each and every moment, to believe in Jesus, that he is your hope, that he is your life, that he's the only thing worth pursuing. And if you don't know this life must be pretty difficult. And we're here to talk you through that, pray with you. And there'll be a chance at the end to, to ask more questions or even give your life to Jesus because choosing that gives you life. Lazarus now chooses to get up, bound in all of his stuff and kind of like just, I mean, I, to me, it'd probably be a funny scene. He kind of waddles out, right? Like, I mean, how they wrap them is pretty crazy and he has to come out of there. Nobody goes in after him, but he has to choose to make his way out to the community that is awaiting to see him. He comes out. Jesus says, now unbind him. Let's let's get him cut free. And then there's another story later on where it says that Jesus is reclining with Lazarus, the one he raised from the dead. So Jesus comes back and gets to spend time with his friend that he raised from the dead. Imagine those conversations. Imagine being one of the people in the crowd. Maybe you're going through something right now in the crowd. Life is hopeless. It's meaningless. I'm never going to get through this. I'm here to tell you that it's difficult. It is hard. That, and because of what Jesus can do, is going to do, and will do, that doesn't take away the current pain and emotions that you're feeling. But if you're looking to walk through that, we as a church just as a general like believers in Christ, we want to help walk you through that because Christ is the hope of glory. There is more to it. Without Jesus in my life, I would not have gotten over my dad's passing as easily, as well adjusted, as comforted as I am. And it will still bring tears to my eyes. I will still mourn on his birthday and the anniversary of his passing. That doesn't take that away. And that's okay And I have friends and my wife will allow me to grieve because there's a reason and a purpose. And even when it's illogical or we don't have a good enough reason, it's okay to process those. We want to struggle towards Christ and to what he has for us. Because again, he's the one who will give us life. If I was in that crowd, I'd be like this dude just raised somebody from the dead. I want to know them. I want them to be my friend. I want to hang out with them. How did they do this? Please, what do I need to do to hang out with you, to be part of you? Just to do it. So if you're going through something, I hope that this has helped encourage you to see that there are different types of pain, that there are different levels of it. And just because we know that there's going to be an ending, whether in this life or by believing in Jesus in the resurrection, There is hope that it does get better. And sometimes it's about having somebody sit with you. Sometimes it's about having somebody call you out and to be open and honest and and confronting sin in your life. Sometimes it's just about having somebody there. There are many different ways to handle these things. And there's so many different complex issues. So this is just a broad brushstroke, but please hear me. Jesus cares about the pain that you're going through. He cares about the reason you're going through it. It may not always turn out the way you want, but I guarantee you God will use it for his glory in the long run because that is what he does. And I pray that we will all work to see how Jesus moves through things, moves through us, the emotion and the pain of things. I think one phrase that I'd really like to share with you, that's when my dad did pass away, I went back about six months later to go continue with missions because that is what God had said. But I ended up wrestling with a lot of things and somebody recommended a counselor, a guy called Dave Peters. And this person told me, I think, some of the best advice I'll probably take with me for the rest of my life. Feelings neither lie nor tell the truth, but they're there to help you discern. We don't be led by our feelings because we want to focus on what God is doing. But that doesn't mean our feelings won't come out to allow us to grieve and mourn or rejoice with others. So how do we do that and do that well? So today I pray that you will see how Jesus is there with you. I really pray that you will see him move and you will be focused on the things of heaven and not just what you can see. Thank you guys for having me. I'm going to have Pastor James come up and just conclude the service. Um, But thank you guys so much for this.